Hello everyone, my name is Logan, and you are listening to The Crown Cast. Uh, this is our regular Wednesday cast, and you might be thinking to yourself, Logan, this isn't coming out until Thursday, and uh, I would encourage you not to dwell on those thoughts. Uh, for you listeners that, that may be that cognizant, you know, time is it's wibbly, and it's, it's whimy, and it's wobbly, and I think that's legally distinct enough that we're not going to get in trouble for saying it. Uh, but uh, another man who is used to me sort of being wibbly and wobbly is joining me today, and that's Justin. Hello, Justin. You know, I am uh, I'm excited to talk about this one again. Uh, we are going to be discussing the Lost to New England Revolution, and it's, it's odd to say I'm excited to talk about it, but I think I see a lot of good in this game. Well, uh, I've talked all up and down the microphone of the fact that I think we have weaknesses in our attack. And for those of you just joining us on these Wednesday podcasts, uh, we are we have started this process of later on in the podcast really trying to to put value on how we're attacking and see if we can find out where that imbalance is coming from. We're doing it live uh, just so that everybody can see exactly what we're thinking about and how we break down the game. But there's a lot of this game that, that actually did feel pretty good to me, and we left the post-match podcast with this expectation of we're moving the ball up the pitch a lot better. And for us, it's that final third of the pitch that's really causing us trouble. And we know we have one dangerous man up there uh, in Carol Swiderski, uh, which, by the way, Justin, I don't know if you've heard that he is now being called the Polish Pistol. Yep, I've heard Polish Pistol. I've heard the you know you you brought Polish Assassin uh, through here earlier. It'll be interesting to see as more Polish players move into our starting eleven. Uh, you know what happens with that? I mean, I assume I, I will admit I like Polish Assassin uh, again. Shout out to the fan who who recommended that more than Polish Pistol. That that doesn't that doesn't feel quite as powerful as I feel like his shot is like. Polish rocket launcher or Polish tank or something, right? Uh, but who knows? If we keep getting Polish players, maybe we'll get the Polish assault rifle and the Polish sniper and the Polish... I don't know. Anyway. If if we could get a Polish Lewandowski uh, up top with Swiderski, I'd be pretty happy with that. I'm curious. Is that his nickname or are you asking for the actual <laughs> Polish Lewandowski? asking for Robert Lewandowski to leave Bayern Munich, leave Barcelona, where he's probably going to be playing next year, uh, stop being one of the best strikers in Europe, and instead come over here to Charlotte and uh, play with some of his national teammates. I mean, uh, call up David Tepper? <laughs> Do you have David Tepper's number? Do you have that ability? Uh, I mean, we have talked about the fact that they listen to this podcast, so you know, maybe I'll just put it out there in the ether from, from here and see what happens. Yeah, I would. He should I, only be uh, $300,000 a week. Oh, yeah. Something easy, like that. Easy money. I mean, honestly, with the with the money that's flooding in from Charlotte FC, actually, we'll get onto a little bit about that later because, again, this club just impresses me to no end. It's, it's genuinely amazing. But uh, I do want to talk about the fact that we saw today the impact of an actual dangerous striker when we played New England Revolution. Uh, we've talked a little bit in the past about how we kind of have a taller upfront man in Daniel Rios, who I gave a crown to previously because I thought he played really well. But uh, I think we saw in New England Revolution what it looks like when you have a truly dangerous elite level run-on open play aerial threat uh, that knows how to find space, that knows how to be slippery, and then knows how to execute on on good crosses out of the air. And and we just couldn't handle it. I mean, Justin, uh, you saw Buxa play the same way I did. You know, What thoughts did you have on what he brought to the New England Revolution and, and why it was so hard for us to handle? Yeah, you know, and, and a big thing that we've got to remember is Adam Buxa was not there he was injured uh, the first time we played new england revolution a little over a month ago at this point um and and it did make such a huge difference he you know honestly is not necessarily that much bigger than guzman corujo or christian mccoon uh starting in the center of, of charlotte's defense but 
there's a difference between just your your pure size and your ability to use that in the air, you know, to elevate on the run, uh, and to get power behind a you know a headed strike. And uh, he, I don't know that I necessarily saw the same effectiveness from Buxo with his feet or anything like that in this match, but uh, he is a dangerously effective aerial threat, and uh, he made Charlotte pay. Oh yeah, he he looked good and. That's one of those things that, you know, we, we called out the expectation that was set on one of our players in Christian McCoon, who was clearly brought in for the purpose of making sure that this guy didn't just get away with it. And uh, he did kind of just get away with it. He, he really ran through Christian McCoon. But I, I think that we have now seen sort of one of those very effective methods to attack in the MLS. I don't know that it would be that effective all the time. But I, I'm interested to see how Charlotte line up the next time they face an aerial threat. Because I think there's always that statement of like, hey, you, you've only seen it in theory. You haven't actually looked it dead in the eyeballs and had to face it, right? Now they've looked it in the eyeballs. They have, they have seen it up close and personal. And how they react to it coming up next is going to be something I'm going to be looking for. But it shows that that team was very capable of setting up their offensive aerial threat. And Justin, I feel like we don't really have this here at Charlotte yet, this, this sort of aerial threat. Do you want to talk about you know, what an effective aerial threat is and, and, and how you get it out on the pitch? I mean, it, you know, obviously the, the key thing for an aerial threat is do they put the ball on the back of the net? from those crosses that come in. And, and so, you know, I don't know if that's there yet because I don't know if we've necessarily got uh, kind of the... It requires a relatively sturdy stout body to hold off the center the center backs and get up there in a position to try and score these goals. And so, you know, I don't know that Swiderski necessarily shows the frame. I will say Swiderski probably has some of our better-headed chances so far this season. Uh, a couple of good opportunities in the first match at Atlanta. We ended up losing, but he forced some saves from Brad Guzan with his head. We've talked a little bit about Rios, um, but but really, you know, a, a good aerial threat is really kind of broken down. There's two there's two important parts to any good aerial attack. One's the great cross, and the other is the great finish. Yeah, and I think at times we've had the great cross and not the great finish, and at times we've had you know the. The opportunity for the great finish and the, the cross has been wanting. So, you know, it's again, we talk about the attacks not really all meshing yet. It's not all there yet. And it, that's indicative of it. That's that's symptomatic of it is, you know, we aren't necessarily getting the good service from the wings. Um, you know, Jalen Lindsay sent some nice balls in from the, the right-hand side, but I don't know that we've necessarily found the attacking player to compliment Lindsay out on that right-hand side. And, you know, Ben Bender swings some good uh, crosses in from the left, especially, you know, stuff from corners. Um, Jordi Alcivar obviously had the Olympico a couple of weeks ago against, uh, against Atlanta. Um, so there's some capability there, but, you know, what I, we're, we're also missing a certain coordination and attack that draws defenders away and gives space for a player like Swiderski to, to make these attacks. Um, we're seeing a lot of situations, I think, where the there's only one runner, there's only one, maybe two people in the box when, when a cross comes in, and if you've got three or four defenders in there, it's going to be very difficult to generate, uh, you know, an aerial threat uh, with only one or two attacking players there they're going to get crowded out by defenders really what you're kind of looking for is a trio of positions and, and runs to be made uh, when these crosses come in to give you a really good opportunity for an aerial threat and um you're looking for the front post run so you're looking for the near post that is the the side of the goal closest to you know where the wingers positioning where they're trying to set up for the cross so if you're talking about Lindsay on the the right hand side you're looking for Swiderski to make you know an attacking run towards that front post um you're looking for somebody to sort of set up near the penalty spot uh to to pick up anything sort of central to the goal and also 
to be there for flick-ons and knockdowns. So a flick-on is a you know from a near post uh, across a, a little tapped header that brings the ball towards the center of the goal. A knockdown something to the back post that is then knocked down again to the center of the goal. And then you want that back post runner. You want somebody making the run for the long cross. And without that breadth of attack, you're not spreading the defense around enough. Um, so, you know, when we talk about why is Charlotte not doing well through the air, why are most of these goals coming, you know, from quick passages of play, uh, uh, you know, ball on the ground sort of activity, um, I just don't think that we are pushing the right numbers forward in the right positions. And we're not yet at the point where there's that almost telepathic understanding of this is where the player is going to be for the cross, you know, and, and um, but the flip side of it is the striker knowing this is where the crosser likes to send in, you know, that, that ball uh, to try and position correctly. So there's just a lot of little pieces that are just a little out of alignment for Charlotte to be more effective in attack. And I think what we saw from New England, because the goal they scored with Buxa was not the only aerial threat that they, they presented, but some of the crosses that they had, uh, I think Brent Bai is the, the player's name in the right back who crossed in for Buxa. He puts an inch perfect cross uh, into the gap between center backs. And, and um, so, you know, I think we see how other teams do it. I think we see how, how it can be effective. I think there are a lot of players out there who know how it can be effective. I think it's just one of those skills that takes so long to get nailed down uh, and the pieces just aren't quite lined up yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with what you're saying there, that the pieces just aren't quite lined up yet, and that's okay. Um, you know, uh, like we said, we're talking about how this team develops not just how this team is right now. And, and we're definitely looking forward to the future. I will, I will say something that I think we saw a combination in this game against New England. That I think we saw us get open up by a team that was really good at this particular skill. But I think some of our weaknesses in defense don't help. You know, I think it, it was exacerbated by... A little bit of our, a little bit of our mispositioning. There's a there's a very important element to holding a defensive line in football, and for anyone who doesn't know, a pass that is played to an offensive player from another offensive player must be struck. Um, they don't have to touch it. It must be struck while there are at least two opposing players further up the field. The goalkeeper counts as one. A lot of people forget that. Most people think it just has to be, you know, one person. It actually has to be two. The goalkeeper counts as one. And then it would have to be some other defender that when the ball is struck, the offensive player must be in front of them, right? And this is really important because if you hold a nice tight line that's that's very horizontal across the pitch and and they run even a little bit past it before the ball is struck, the play is dead. We are not doing a great job of holding that line. Uh, and one of the people that I'm going to call out on this is actually Jalen Lindsay. Uh, not in an awful way, but you can see as the field tilts that our defense is, is letting one defender float backwards a little bit too far. And it's never a good thing. It's not good when it's in the middle, but it's even worse when it's on the outside. Because when it's on the outside, a player can run in behind the defensive line that thinks they're holding strong on the far side of the pitch and still be played onside by the player on the other side. Which means that if you can, if you can hit a good over-the-top cross ball to that player, they're going to have a lot of speed and a lot of space to play with. And I think we saw ourselves get opened up not a lot but I think we saw it it pushed together in this particular match where a combination of us not having the tightest lines uh along with a team that was really good at playing those balls over the top and really good at playing those balls into the center uh looking for a very high quality aerial striker uh well it came out and it it bit us today I mean I, I think that's about what I'd like to say on it Justin do you do you want to add anything? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, listeners to the pod will, will know that I've called out Christian McCoon for the same type of activity in the past. And, and it is so vital for a backline to hold their shape. You know, as soon as, as McCoon or Lindsay drops a few yards behind the rest of the line, you know, that opens up everything across the field. And, and all of a sudden, Guzman Carujo might think he's okay to let a player go past him because that player is going to be offsides when the pass goes off. But if Jalen Lindsay or Christian McCoon are, are two or three yards past where Guzman Carujo thinks the, the offside trap is set, you just you just have a player running in behind. And, uh, you know, as great as, as great as Carujo can be uh, at defense, he doesn't have the speed if a player gets in behind him to necessarily catch back up. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, I think we've touched on that. You know, we've, we've sort of stated what we're looking at there. And I think it's important. But one of the things that you touched on earlier, I'd like to sort of circle back to. And that's, you said that a lot of our offensive threat is coming from our technical quality and our ability to play balls on the ground. And I think that's a great shout out because that's where a lot of our, our offensive threat is coming from. Uh, it's no secret in the MLS that Charlotte FC is is building a highly technical team under Miguel Ramirez in a league that is a highly athletic league. A lot of MLS teams take the the approach of winning football matches by just having the biggest, strongest, fastest guy and hoping that they're going to well, really just bully other people off the ball and then sprint away faster than anyone else. And that can work, um, but there's a reason that we don't see it in the absolute highest leagues in the world, and it's because, done well, a group of highly efficient technical players who know each other will run those people into the ground. Um, They will pass the ball around them a hundred times, they'll wear them out, and by halftime, they'll be dead. And even more than that, that's a, a challenging position to take for your players in the long run. Players who play this really aggressive, we're just going to be the fastest, bulliest, strongest player on the field, often don't succeed for as long of a time. Um you know, that, that wears on you as your career goes on. So while it can be nice, in my opinion, in the short term, I personally think Miguel Ramirez is building this team into a what will eventually be a higher quality, more longevity, more survivability uh, team that will ultimately produce better products. And since they are products, will probably be moved on to other clubs for higher prices, which which means good business for Charlotte FC. I, I think it's the right thing to pick. But one of the ways that we're seeing this go down is we're starting to have to open up the middle of the pitch. And this is a real challenge. The, the, the forward middle section of the field is a place where you have to have a lot of technical ability, a lot of vision, and uh, a lot of faith in your ability to, to play the, the correct ball because you can give it away really easy surrounded by that many defenders. And we're starting to see it. Uh, I went back, I looked at this again, and you know we talked about the Rios chance in the post-match where you know I really gave Rios ups for acknowledging a, a pathway with sort of an interior to exterior run that would allow him to get off a really dangerous shot for making the run effectively. And uh, I didn't highlight uh, somebody who we highlight a lot, and that is Ben Bender, who who came into the middle, into that congested, dangerous part of the pitch. And he was surrounded by, like, nine people. I mean, the whole team is around him at this point. Uh, and, and he looked like he belonged there. You know, he, he received the ball very calmly. Uh, if you go back and watch it, you can see his head sort of tracking runners and identifying where dangerous places could be before he ever received the ball. He received the ball with that wonderful technical skill that kept it close. And this is something that I'm going to talk about because I think I have already seen teams being forced to give Ben Bender and a few others more respect. Uh, a, a team will show you who your weaknesses are. 
right? If if some other team says, oh, hey, that guy's got the ball. We need to press him right now. It's because they think that guy's not strong on the ball. And you could see in that moment when he got the ball right in the middle of the pitch, surrounded by five New England defenders, nobody wanted to go and press Ben Bender. They all just sort of surrounded him, but but like three feet away uh, for fear that, that Bender would do something and they would end up looking dumb. And that is so important. That respect that he's starting to earn in the league allows him to, to be press resistant. It allows him to play in that middle of the pitch and say, yeah, go ahead, come at me. If you, if you come at me, there's a very high likelihood I beat you. And if I beat you at the top of your box, you're in trouble. Right. Um, and in this particular instance, what, we, or what I did not highlight in that, that Rios chance is that it is not possible. That chance does not exist without an absolutely inch-perfect, perfect-weighted pass through two lines and four defenders from Ben Bender. Uh, it is a spectacular pass that lands right on Rios' front foot uh, that gives him the ability to break away, that makes that very clever and very intelligent, sharp, quick run from Rios useful. And this is what we want to see. We are now seeing that that technical ability we have not just exist from the outside spaces, which you know we hope to continue seeing, but we're seeing that attack start to flow through the middle. And I think we have a long way to go in this. You know, We aren't going to sit here and highlight the 100 great plays that we have through the middle because this is still a challenge for us. Ben Bender is clearly still learning this. While this is a great example of it being done well, we can point to plenty of examples where it didn't go right. Uh, but that is another feather in the cap, right? And if you're going to be a technical team who doesn't just punch the door down, uh, you're going to have to have a lot of ways to hurt defenses. And this gets uh, this inspires me because I feel like Miguel Ramirez knows this and is already addressing this problem before it's a problem. And that speaks volumes to me. I think Bender is the right guy to bring in, and he's young enough to learn it. He's technically uh, got enough quality to to be successful at it. Uh, and, and I think we are just live streaming the real development of what could be a very, very, very good team one day. Justin, I know I have... I have taken up quite a lot there. Would you like to, to get in on this and, and, and make your opinions known? I, I mean, we definitely are building the kind of team that succeeds, not just in MLS, but in world football right now. We're, we're building the kind of attack, and I think it's great that Bender is, is showing that degree of comfort centrally because I think there's a new player on the club that's going to push Bender Central. And um, I am okay with that. And I'm excited for it. And so, you know, I'm very much looking forward to these uh, these improvements and these changes. I would love to see some of the areas where we are maybe a little bit more deficient on the pitch start to try and catch up with at least the technical play that we're seeing in the attack. And, you know, obviously you can be as technically great as you want. And, uh, uh, you know, Logan, you're familiar with this, um, with your Premier League squad. You can be as technically gifted as you want, but if you try to walk it in the net every time, you're not going to score. So I'd love to see some of these opportunities uh, uh, turn into more goals. I'd like to see, honestly, just some more shots taken, you know, and from, from the Charlotte attacking side. Um, I'd love to see just, just Swiderski and Bender maybe taking some more shots from a little bit further out and see what happens. Well, I mean, when you're talking about taking more shots, I think that we can look back uh, and talk about the Ortiz goal, but we're going to talk about that in a minute, minute because a shot that uh, literally everyone should take is uh, going to hang out with our sponsor at Potions and Pixels. Uh, for those of you just now tuning into this podcast, our sponsor is a wonderful uh, community here in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
It is Potions and Pixels. They are a gaming and video gaming community, along with the fact they do a bunch of other projects for the city. Uh, but for, for most people, where you'll get to experience them is through the many, many events that they put on to enrich the lives of the Charlotte, uh, Charlotte community. Uh, the people in the Charlotte community, and we are, we're so happy to have them. We shout them out every week, and we're always happy to do it. And Justin, uh, you always like to highlight their family-friendly as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as I'm sure all of our listeners at this point know, I've got three kids. Uh, they they are great events to take the kids to, you know, and, and the organization, the, the leadership of the organization, they do a great job of cycling through you know, some themed stuff. So uh, opportunities to do uh, video game based activities, opportunities to do some some skill based uh, board game types of things, and then some some more family friendly uh, or group focused cooperative board gaming. You know, there's a lot of themed events that Potions and Pixels put together puts together. Um, and, you know, beyond just the events, you know, Logan, you highlight a little bit some of the, the other stuff they do. They've got uh, a very well-received app uh, that they helped develop, Trash Dash Charlotte. Uh, and uh, I keep forgetting to mention they have a, a really cool app for the history of Charlotte that was developed in conjunction with Levine Museum of the New South called Historic Brooklyn um, that lets you, in sort of an augmented reality way, go through some of the areas of downtown Charlotte um, and see the, the history of our town. So... You know, a lot of great work coming out of Potions and Pixels. Uh, can't recommend them highly enough. Absolutely. A, a great community to go and hang out with, a great place to go have some fun, and some great experiences for you to, uh, you know, even if you just want to go trek around the city and, and see what it looked like from a long time ago. Uh, we do love ourselves some Potions and Pixels, but I do believe that is just about enough of that. Is that right, Justin? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, so... I am actually going to ignore everything I said previously because <laughs> that's what I like to do. Um, and I'm going to jump uh, away from the goal against uh, the team playing New England Revolution. We're going to get back to that in a second because I'm going to make some really quick notes on the Greenville match. Um, the reason that we are having wibbly wobbly timey wimey experience problems is because Charlotte FC decided they were going to play a match on a Wednesday night. Uh, well, technically the U.S. Open Cup decided that Charlotte FC was going to play a match on the Wednesday night, but it was close enough that I was able to go down there and experience the match for myself. For anyone who wants to really hear about this match, I, I had such a great time that I am actually going to do a whole bonus pod on it. Uh, we are going to hit a couple of the very quick highlights here just so anybody who doesn't have time to, to listen to that will will get the chance to, to hear a couple of things. But it's all good. We won. Uh, my quick notes, Mackenzie Gaines looks really sharp. Uh, Justin, I talked to you earlier, and I said, getting to see him up really, really close, the skill with which this man traps a ball that comes at him with incredible pace is is mind-boggling. Um, it, it, I think I said something to the effect of, it doesn't look like somebody hit a ball to him, it looks like a ball was flying at him, and then it just magically appeared with no momentum at his feet. Uh, it's it's really, really impressive to see up close because it's such a difficult skill. Um, and I'd love to see how that skill transitions into our team, but that's something we'll talk about more in the future. Uh, I know you wanted to point out that uh, we did see the the very first appearance of Kamali Oswiak. Do you want to say your impression of him? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, real quickly, this match did go 120 minutes. We we went into extra time and everything. And so it was really great to have uh, Kamal Yozwiak come in off the bench. He he played as a substitute, uh, but, you know, we went into extra time and he just had a, a great combination of energy. Uh, you know, he, he brought a lot of increased attacking thrust and uh, just general energy in the press and in the attack. Um, and he played some really beautiful passes, including the pass uh, to you know a, a player that I don't think at the start of the night was uh, expected to score in Harrison Awful, but uh, just a beautiful pass through the middle. Once again, we're playing on the grass in the middle, but uh, uh, Yazwiak, I think, 
looks like he's going to be a real stud for this team, which you expect out of a designated player. But this is the guy I was, you know, sort of sideways referencing earlier when I talked about Bender being able to move to the middle of the pitch is that left wing, I think, is going to be Kamil Yoswiak's territory. And it looks like he is going to grab hold of that territory and turn it into a dangerous area for Charlotte, uh, both in his passing and in his willingness to to cut inside and take some shots. So yeah, excited to see. I'm going to cut you off there because we are going to go into more depth about it in this bonus podcast. If you want to hear more about how we see you know, the team lining up with Mackenzie Gaines, with, or not with Mackenzie Gaines, with Kamala Yazwiak, maybe with Mackenzie Gaines, we'll see. Um, and and what we saw on that pitch, how we saw some of the people we don't normally get to see play and how they looked, and how uh, maybe Miguel Ramirez used this as a little bit of a way to uh, try some things out. Uh, please join us for that one. It's absolutely going to be worth it. One of the, the things that I'm going to, to call out right now is that being in Greenville, being at the stadium for the Greenville Triumph, was an absolute joy. Uh, it was a really, really fantastic experience. I will be honest, I'm used to Charlotte crowds. And I know Charlotte crowds are not standard. Uh, Charlotte really gets behind its football. And even if you just look at the match against New England Revolution, you'll see that Sometimes stadiums aren't filled to the brim. So I really expected when I went down to Greenville, it was going to be like 95% blue shirts and like a couple Greenville green shirts sort of peppered in there. And uh, let me tell you something. Greenville showed up. They were as loud, as proud. Their supporter section was almost as big and there were more green shirts than there were blue shirts in that 4,000 people stadium. It was packed to the brim and Greenville absolutely did themselves uh, really, really incredibly proud so much so that uh, all of it in general made me feel like we did need to do a bonus pod. Uh, But I was able to interview the supporter section president for the Greenville supporters. Uh, His name is Andrew Phillips and I got a great interview with him, and you're going to actually be able to hear his voice on the bonus podcast. He's going to be one of our first guests. But we did come away with this this quote from him because really we saw how uh, even Greenville supporters were also there supporting Charlotte FC. And, and we saw how Charlotte FC didn't just suddenly become big. Charlotte FC benefited from all of the grassroots organizations around it that love football and, and that wanted to go and cheer for their teams and that, that, that loved this sport. And uh, so much so that the supporter section there was actually also chanting the Charlotte FC chants because a lot of them are Charlotte fans. Uh, really, really, really cool experience. Really, really cool thing to see. But really quickly, I just want to put out there uh, a quote from Andrew Phillips who said, the fandom that exists here is because of how much we love the game. We feel connected to our team in Greenville Triumph, and that culture bleeds into our fans that also support the Charlotte FC. And, and that was such an eye-opening moment for me personally to, to get the chance to see it, to see where all that support comes from, even before Charlotte FC was a thing and to see how much love they have for their home team uh, because we're the exact same way in Charlotte. Uh, great, great time. Please look for that bonus podcast. As soon as we can get uh, Andrew Phillips on, we will be putting that out to you. But, Ju- Justin, I'm going to go back to the Ortiz goal that we do score in the New England Revolution match. And my thoughts on this are pretty straightforward. Um, sometimes... You shoot randomly, and it happens to go in. How do you feel about that? Yeah, this is this honestly goes back a little bit to what I'm I would love to see from the the team, and that's maybe a few more of these players take some of these shots. I, there's there's some intelligence to TDRT's shot, right? It's he's he's well outside the box and everything. He's on the right hand side of the attack, but nobody closes him down real quickly. You know, he's got some space. He's got an opportunity to pick out. He sees where the keeper is. 
it's a smart shot or as smart as a shot from that kind of distance and everything can be. It, you know, there's definitely higher percentage shots that the Charlotte SC team has managed. Um, and, and obviously you, you want to keep seeing those, but it's, there is this sort of knife's edge of that is a good shot to take versus that is a wasted attempt. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of it really does depend on the result, right? If it goes in, of course it was a good idea to take the shot, but yeah, spectacular. Um, but yeah, it is, it's more of a hopeful ball than, than, uh, TDRT's going, oh, I'm definitely going to score this. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think that that's something we can absolutely see. For me, I think it, it, it like I said, it, it's more, it's more poke and hope, and that's okay. Like you said, you need more of that. You need the threat from what you sometimes get. But this is going to be sort of referencing one of my earliest points in this podcast that it matters where you play this game, right? If you play this game in your defensive eighteen the random poke and hope scores against you. If you're primarily playing this game in the attacking third, the random poke and hope scores a point for you. And I don't think I'd really need to go into it too much more than that, other than it was good vision from T.D. Ortiz. Uh, He does get very good power on the ball. Uh, I do think it was the point of the match where you kind of do just have to try something and hope it works. Uh, And... And good on him, because uh, they got into the offensive positions, uh, they took a shot, and and sometimes the shots go in, and, and that's a lesson for all of us, that sometimes you you have to take the shot and, and hope it goes in. Justin? Yeah, you buy the ticket and you hope, and, and sometimes the lottery pays off for you. I, I think that there was, it was not a bad shot you know, necessarily for TDRTs to take. I think there are times where I see Kamil Yazwiak, or, or sorry, not Kamil Yazwiak, but Carol Swiderski or Ben Bender sort of central in the pitch. And I say, just try, just try from there. You're not, ha- nobody's closing you down. You've got the second to turn. You've got the second to square up. Uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd maybe like to see a few more of those, but again, it's a knife's edge. I think that generally TTRTs takes too many of those. I think that generally Carol Swiderski takes too few of those. Yeah, and I, one thing I will, I mean, you know, oh, it hurts to say something negative about my boy, but one <laughs> thing I will say is Bender almost never takes them, right? Bender will not take a shot unless it, he seems to be in the perfect position, and maybe that's something he needs to learn a little bit with age. But I am going to move us into this practice that we've been doing where we have been breaking down our attack, and we've been putting actual values over five categories, speed, fight, aerial skill, vision, and technique, in order to sort of see if we can get a look at our team and maybe break down how the attack could be more effective or, you know, why we're not seeing quite the quite the stabby stab pokey poke that we are hoping for. Uh, Justin, I'd like to do two today. I'd like to do Mora and Lindsay, our sort of fullbacks. Uh, uh, would you be okay with doing Mora first? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Um, so uh, I will I will reach right out here with Mora's speed. I think Mora's actually really fast. Uh, I think Mora's probably a four. Would you agree with that? So, yeah, but like in an interesting way, I think that Mora is sort of, for me at least, what I see, the, the opposite of Swiderski, where I talked about Swiderski being you know, more, more quick over the short distances than overall fast. I think that Mora is is faster in the space, but I don't know that he's... Oh, that's actually a really good call, because he's not, you're right. Like, he never is just suddenly away from his marker, is he? No, I mean, and and so I think he's a real good green grass runner. Yeah. But, but you know, I don't know if he's necessarily the one who's... Being quick like that makes you really great at one-two passing, right? Because that kind of quickness... You play the ball to to your teammate, and then that quickness opens the space for you to get the ball back and be able to make that one-two attack. And I don't think that Joseph Mora has that piece of, I'm going to play the ball into Ben Bender on that wing and then move, and Bender's going to have the great one-two to play to me. So I think that Mora's really good when I have the ball with a ton of space in front of me and I'm, I'm going to just bomb forward. So we... Uh... We penalized, you know, we held Swiderski back from being a four 
because he only had one of these two skills. I think it's probably fair we do the same with Mora. Would you say a 3-5 is, is correct? Um, I, I'd be more comfortable with a 3-5 for Mora because, you know, again, he's only got sort of half of the package yeah. when it comes to speed. So this is going to be one in the next column where we talk about how much fight they have. And this is just their willingness to get stuck in and try and really win their duels. And... and I, I actually think this is pretty low. Like, I think this is a 1.5-ish for Mora. I haven't, I have not seen Joseph Mora be the guy who is going to get stuck in. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't think that you can go, maybe, no, I think it, 1.5 is yeah. probably fair. I don't think, I don't think because... it's a 1. I don't think he's in the absolute bottom level of the MLS. Uh, well, but, and when we get to the end of this and we close. start talking... Yeah, when we start talking technique, I think this is also going to play into it because I don't think that, you know, he has the, the the sort of awareness. Maybe it's piece of its vision, but but I don't know that he has the awareness of the runners really out wide. So I don't know if we've seen his opportunity to get stuck in, because I think he leaves too much space defensively on that left hand side. Um, okay, so you know, and and so let's let's just jump right to it. I mean. Uh, aerial, I haven't even seen him go for an aerial ball. I mean, I'm sure he's gone I don't for think a few I have of either. them, but I, I think he's probably a two, maybe a two point five. I think I, I think we give him a two because I don't think we've seen enough of it, you know. So uh, the next two are sort of the ones you're talking about, and they they run so close together. Vision is your ability to to see the pitch and see how things are developing and read the play before it happens. Technique is your ability to execute on on everything, and Oh, uh, this might be our lowest rated player so far by some significant margin. Would you say that's fair? Well, and so there's also a question. I, I, I do think that of the players we have talked to uh, talked about so far, I think that Joseph Mora for me is, is going to obviously be my, my lowest rank. And it's also interesting to talk, though, about are we talking vision and technique purely in the attack? Or are we talking about vision and technique across this entire game? So for this purpose, we are talking about vision and technique purely for his attacking impotence. It's probably a little better than I would consider it overall. Then. Yeah, you, I mean, I know? would actually agree with you. So these numbers might might be a little bit favorable, but... So uh, let's just talk about his vision going forward. Thus far, when he has managed to get up in the attack, he has put in a couple of good crosses... Uh, but I have seen that those crosses don't really go to intended targets. You know, they're well-placed, but they're not placed with, oh, I'm expecting Carol Swiderski to be on this, or, oh, I'm expecting Ben Bender to be on this. They're just sort of, oh, yeah, coach told me to kick the ball to the back post. Would, yeah, would you I'm say that's about right? I'm going to put this one on the penalty spot. I'm gonna, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, the other thing that I think I see from, from Joseph Mora is after those some of those runs, and I think that he's got... There's a swerviness to his run that I think can be pretty effective in terms of trying to be be able to beat man on man a defender. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've seen occasions where he's managed to do that. I think after that he's got one good pass in him. It, it, I just like I said I don't see the one twos. I don't see sort of the consistent push forward from it. So so how about know, how about this? Wise, how about how about we put him as a two for vision? I think that's probably fair. And I, we, I think I might in attack be okay with with a two point five for vision. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that he can he can put a decent pass in one like one time per stretch of play. Yeah. You know. And technique, I think I'm going to put him at three. I think as a young man, uh, he is kind of dead middle of the pack in MLS for his technique. Would you call that about fair? I, I think so. The only thing I'd say about it is, I, is Joseph Mora a young man? Oh, uh, how old is by, Joseph Mora? By footballing standards, I I want to say he's twenty eight. Yeah, you you heard it here first. Justin and I actually don't know everything about everyone. We do know most things about most people, uh, uh, but sometimes we we even have to use the Googles. Um, oh, he's twenty nine. He's 29, so not a young man. Um, so, yeah, for a footballer, I mean, and I say this as a 40-year-old man, right? <laughs> but as a football, for, for a footballer, uh, that's that's a little older, you know? That's 
Yeah. Um, well, that actually, uh, honestly, it makes his speed that much more impressive. Um, but but you would expect to see higher numbers. I do think he's dead middle there. I think a three gets it done. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so next one is probably going to be one of our higher rated ones, uh, and that is Jalen Lindsay. And I think Jalen Lindsay is a 4.5 in speed, if not a five. I'm still so hesitant to give the five because, like... Do you Kamal know Yazwiak, anybody? I oh, think. Okay. Kamal Yazwiak might be just the the absolute speed merchant, and, and he might have all of it. He might have the quickness and the speed. Yeah. But Jalen Lindsay is he's, Jalen he's blisteringly fast. fast, and he's quick. Uh, I think this has to be at least a four five. Um, yeah, I'm okay with a four five. I just like you know we got a little taste of it last night against Greenville. I think Kamal Yazwiak is going to be the five. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm also okay giving Kamal Yazwiak the six because I think, <laughs> think Kamal Yazwiak is world-class at speed. You know, he's not, he's not one of the best in MLS. He's one of the best. No, no other statement required. Um, so fight from Jalen Lindsay. I think this is probably a, a 3.5. I think he's a little bit more willing to get stuck in than your average player, but it's not where he makes his money. Would you call that fair? Yeah, I think 3.5, I, I might be okay with a 4. You know, I think that maybe we haven't necessarily seen it in the last couple of games as much. But, man, against LA Galaxy, he got stuck in good. Like, there were there were several situations. I think at one point he even, you know, went in for a good challenge on Chicharito Hernandez, who is the name for LA Galaxy. And, you know, took the ball clean off him and was real excited about it, too. Real fired up. Okay, uh, so aerial presence. I think this is going to shoot pretty low. He is not a particularly tall man. Uh, we have seen him have defensive struggle in our box from aerial uh, challenges, and I don't think I've ever seen him put in an aerial challenge. Not that I'd expect him to be the one. He's he's out there on the wing, right? Um, but I don't think I've seen him put an aerial challenge in in the offense. At least not that yeah, recalls it's... to memory. Uh, it's a real tough one because I don't think our I don't think our fullbacks are asked to do it, but at the same time, you know, it's also not even a strength. A, it, it's also not a strength. I yeah, think even in a moment of of desperation for our club, Jalen Lindsay's not the guy getting up there. I, I think we give him a two, same as Mora. Yeah, I think I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, so here's where I think he's actually going to rate pretty highly and very similar to Ben Bender uh, and Carol Swiderski. I feel like Jalen Lindsay actually has quite a lot in these next two categories i struggle with which one is going to be higher and i don't think any of them are are world class but i think they're high so vision and technique justin uh you know what what are you thinking Jalen Lindsay and his vision in, in his technique so again you know i think Jalen Lindsay is going to benefit here right from the fact that we're only talking about an attack i think defensively there have been some vision lapses uh, uh you know uh, over the past couple of matches but it, it, i i personally think that he has a little bit better vision than technique that's funny I, so, I actually think it's the other way around but no please try i'm uh, i'm I, willing to be convinced i love the I, and again this is where they overlap right but i love the passes that he picks out uh, okay. In the attack, I think that he does a great job of, and, and a lot of this too is is the technique to place the pass where it needs to go. But I think that he picks out. You know, I remember, or I, I think back to uh, the chance that Alcivar had um, a couple of matches ago, where it was Swiderski to to Lindsay to Alcivar. Um, and it was. I think it was that a great he picks out ball, a good yeah. pass. Okay. Um, so and, from my perspective, we're talking like maybe a four on vision and a three and a half in technique in the attack. See, I I, I would argue we go four four. Um, I mean, I'm okay with that too. But I can also see where you're coming from with the three and a half. He is not uh, as, as a younger player, and this one we do actually know is younger player. Yes. Uh, as a younger player, he is not lighting people up via his his technique. Um, he does have really good passing technique. He has really good ball-carrying technique. He has really good vision for where he can go off of the play. 
to uh, impact the play positively. He finds space really well, both for himself and for the ball. Uh, but I'm trying to sit here and think about the times that I have seen him just really, really execute something at the highest level. You know, something like what we talked about with Bender earlier. Uh, I think I'm fine going 4-4 until I'm I'm proven wrong. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's perfectly fine. I, I think that a lot of this, too, you know, listeners, if you watch and disagree, we might be a little colored in this by the fact that he is a Charlotte native. We might be a little colored in this fact by the, the fact that he's a young player and we really like him. Uh, oh, yeah. This, <laughs> but... is all, this is all colored by what we see on the field. And uh, this is why you have whole teams of coaches. You know, one coach can see different things. Uh, and one coach can see things more favorably than others. So, uh, but I think, I think we're going to wait a little bit longer because I think we're going to want to see Kamal Yazwiak in this team before we start really trying to draw conclusions out of what we're seeing here. But, but what we have right now is, is Mora for speed at 3.5, uh, for fight at 1.5, Ariel at 2, Vision at 2.5, and Technique at 3. And that puts him at kind of your average or slightly below average MLS player in his position. Um, I would say slightly below average in his position. Uh, Jalen Lindsay, we have at a 4.5 in speed, a 3.5 in fight, 2 in aerial, 4 in vision, and 4 in technique. And that puts him in the category of a very good player in his position. Uh, maybe yes. not maybe not game-changing threat in his position, but very, very good. Uh, and I think that's both fair. I think those are good good numbers for them. Yeah, uh, I mean, the only other point is, is Mora at 29 might be on the descent of his career. Lindsay at 21 is... Still absolutely in the ascendancy of his. Oh, yeah. And I do think, considering the time we have uh, put into this one today, we got a hard stop coming up. We're going to go ahead and cut it off there. Uh, Justin, do you have any final thoughts? Real excited about Kamal Yoswiak and, and what he's going to bring to this squad. Oh, yeah. I'm very certain that in the same way I have a Ben Bender jersey, it will not be long before you have a Kamal Yoswiak jersey. You you seem to be really, really thrilled he's here. Yep. Uh uh, that is going to wrap us up for the day. As ever, thank you so much for joining us. We love you, and we will talk to you again soon. Goodbye, everybody.